Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. <laughs> That's right. That's good enough. <laughs> oh boy. Let's dive in. Introducing Rashida, she's taking lessons she's learned and she's adding to her wisdom rating for the future. She has an endless enthusiasm for life. She's a mom, a grandma, and a podcaster. Rashida, welcome. I am so excited to have the random Rashida in the house. <laughs> Randomly Rashida. Randomly Rashida. Oh my gosh, I binge listened to all of your episodes last night. Oh my God, thank you. Yeah, that was really fun. So now I feel a little bit more prepared and I have a zillion questions for you. Okay, go for it. Oh my gosh. It's different being on this side of the fence. I'm used to asking the questions, so. <laughs> okay, so the first random question for you is, what advice would you give to single moms re-entering the dating scene? I would say calm down. <laughs> don't look anxious because it will you'll exude that in your conversations and the things you ask you'll look like you're trying to marry the guy before you even say hello and he'll he'll sense that and I, I was guilty of doing that same thing it was like is this my person is this my person and you know it didn't work out very well <laughs> so just breathe it's not an interview it's supposed to be fun and just chill and then what about disclosing that you have children I do that up front. As a matter of fact, so if I'm dating, like dating online, then I get all that out up front because I don't want to waste my time. I don't want you to waste your time. And if you're anti-kid and I got a whole bunch of them, we need to get that out the way. <laughs> like first and foremost, I even asked that about smokers. I'm like, do you smoke? Because you can be really cute and sexy, but that's a deal breaker for me. So I want to put all my deal breakers on the table and he should too. Yeah. Talk to me about some of your deal breakers. Smoking is a deal breaker. Now, when I first got married, I'm on my second marriage. So the first marriage, my deal breaker was you couldn't travel, you couldn't smoke, you couldn't hang out at the clubs. Because when I got married the first time, I was like maybe late 30s, early 30s, something along those lines. It's been a long time. So those are my deal breakers. Now, the second time around, oh, you had to be educated. You had to have good credit. Like I pulled his credit like earlier on before we even got engaged. I was like, what's your credit looking like? Cause I was buying a house, I was building one at the time and I wanted to know what we could do together. So that was important for me. And I feel like he who has nothing to hide, hides nothing. So if I say, let's pull credit, you should be like, okay, take the nasty on with it and just go with it, you know? So um, yeah, then my second time around, my criteria changed. It wasn't so much about you couldn't be a traveler cause I traveled for my job, but smoking was still a deal breaker. It became more about who you are as a person and less about all that physical stuff. That's not to say you had to look like a little wolf or something, but <laughs> you still had to be cute by my definition, but it wasn't about, you know, the blue eyes, the baby hair and all that nonsense. It was more about who are you that is who you are when no one's looking. If you got crooked teeth, if you got cockeye, we could probably work through that with cosmetic surgery. <laughs> but the fabric of who you are, that's a wrap. You're just who you are. What you just said about who are you and no one's watching, I think also is really important in the workplace as oh, yeah. far as leadership. Mm -hmm. And you have become a technology leader yes. over the last couple of decades. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Gosh, decades makes me sound like I'm like ancient. <laughs> I'm still fresh. <laughs> yes, I think that like, even when I'm interviewing for a job, and I feel like people need to ask these questions. I'll ask the potential manager, like, what is your management style? Are you like a micromanager? You know, do you lead by just letting people do what they do? Because at this stage, we're all professionals. I don't need you to babysit me. And so I ask that question. And, and depending on how you answer, I might be like, hmm, I don't ever want to work for you. And I also ask questions like, you know, do they have family? Because I found that people who have family are more empathetic when you have to go and say, oh, my kid got busted up in, in the school. I need to leave or something like that. And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll see you tomorrow. I find if someone doesn't have family or kids or they're not attached to their family, they're like, okay, get back online as soon as you get home. <laughs> I'm just like, but wait, you know? And so I try to practice that and, and role model that for even my children. I lead by example. What I say, I can back it up. 
And, and I think that's important to be able to demonstrate who you are. <laughs> all right, girl, now we're going to back it up to your childhood. I want to go all the way back to the beginning. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> I listened to your episode with your sisters, which I loved, by the way, because you have three sisters. I have two. Oh. And I loved the questions you asked them. Some of them are really deep, like, who am I as a parent? I think coming from my background, we lost our mom when we were eight years, well, I was eight years old. There's three of us. The baby was seven months old, so she never even met my mother. And my oldest sister was three years older, so she was like 12. We, we just never talked about it. So I got us together. My oldest will be 50 in about two weeks. And I said, let's just talk about stuff that we've never talked about. Like, you know, there's all this shame in families. There's a lot of secrets in families. And even the mystery around my mother's death, every other family member had a different version. So we don't even know what the real truth is. However, I did find that out on my own, but we didn't know. And everyone still has a weird version of how that all went down. You know, as an adopted kid, cause my older sister and I we were adopted, people won't get this if that's not your story, right? You won't, you'll be like, well, what's the big deal? Like who cares if you wink like your mother or you got lips like your mom? But that stuff mattered to me individually. I wanted to know, you know, how do I smile? Do I smile like her? Do I do antics like her? Cause some of that stuff is inborn. And, and who I am as a mother, was she kind of a crazy mother? Was she a fun mother? You want to know those things, you know? And I have like vivid memories or fond memories just a little bit from like when I was two and three years old. So never underestimate that kids at that age don't know what's going on. You know, they can block it out when they get older or they actually do remember. So look, I remember hanging out and making oatmeal in my Easy Bake Oven and like all that weird stuff like that. And those I hold and cherish because those are the only memories that I have of her. You know, even something as simple as a picture means a lot at this stage of my life. Because I don't even have baby pictures of me. I don't even know what I look like as a kid until about maybe six on up. And, and that hurts, you know, because, you know, people will have baby pictures and go, oh, me and my kid look like identical as babies. I don't have that to say. So now I'm like this picture taking nut. <laughs> I'm all about a photo shoot. I'm all about pictures because, and I now think that's, that's where that came from is because I didn't have those pictures. So my kids will never not be able to say, oh, I remember when we went to Disney. I re remember when we went to Paris. They're going to have those memories. You have them all along the wall? All over the place. My mother's like, yep, if you take your pictures down, I think your walls will come down. They're so full of holes. <laughs> I live loudly and proudly, and I want the kids to, to do the same. How did your mom pass away? It's funny because my father died maybe, I don't know, maybe six to seven years ago. And I hadn't seen him but maybe three times in person since I met him in my 20s. I went down to go see him. He was like literally on his deathbed. And I was like, well, while I'm here, I don't know why. I was like, let me just call the hospital. Let me call the coroner. I just wanted to know and maximize this trip that I was on. So I, the hospital had just burned all their paper records. So anything about her was gone at that point. I was like, damn it, if I was like maybe two years earlier. So now I'm beating myself up, right? And so something said, call the coroner. And I called the coroner's office and you would not believe they still had her information. They had a coroner's report. They had the snippet in the paper that they wrote about her. And then I got a copy of her obituary from the coroner. That was crazy. So she died of like some weird medical terms, like cardiopulmonary, this, that, or the other, like kind of like a heart attack. But then she had like sclerosis of the liver because they were like heavy druggers. My father was like this heroin addict and he kind of pushed that on my mother. My father was like a big linebacker type of guy. And my mother was like a really skinny type of chick. And I just think, and it's, it's oxymoronic that he outlived her, but he's the one who introduced her to the nonsense. That kind of pisses me off a little bit. But I think her body was so small, she couldn't handle the stuff he was pushing out. And, and that ultimately killed her at 27. So yeah. awful. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's crazy that you found them. How did you find your dad? I was in college, and this was when Sally Jesse Raphael was the thing. So, you know, I'm dating myself something fierce. <laughs> and she was doing all these, like, reunion shows. That was, like, her thing where, like, Maury is all about who's my baby daddy. That was, like, Sally Jesse's thing. <laughs> and she was, like, re reuniting all these people. And I wrote into the show because you couldn't, like, email or anything at, at that time. So I wrote in. And it's so funny. I kid you not, you can't make this up. The day I found him, the show actually called me. And I was like, you're about five minutes late. I just found him. <laughs> Even though I would have loved to have met Sally Jesse Raphael, it was like too late. But anyway, I've come to realize that like, if you're getting a divorce or you're breaking up with a boyfriend, no one can tell you when to do that. Or even maybe get off drugs or alcohol. You know, everyone wants it for you, but no one's going to say, 
especially in divorce situations, you should get divorced. And I wanted people to do that for me, but they wouldn't. But I get it now. You will know when the time is right, when the time is right, like it'll hit you. And so I think on that day, I was in college, something said, I want to find him. And I don't know why that hit me so strongly on that day. And so I was like, what, what do I do? What do I go? But back then you could call 411 and you know, all that stuff, zero for information. Like you could do that back in the day. <laughs> we had real phones. And I had this diary from 1981. I think that's probably the last time he came to Connecticut and saw us. And I got his address and his phone number. And so I just called information and said, hey, I'm looking for Lamar. It's Fort Wayne, Indiana. Give me, and she said, we have like maybe six names. I'm like, give them all to me. And like the second one I called was him. <laughs> it was just that easy. Like the answer was always with me, unbeknownst to me. But I don't think I might've been ready for it until that moment. And so I called him like, hi. I'm like, do you have a daughter named Rashida? And he's like, quiet. And I'm like, were you married to Kathy? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, tell me more. Who the hell are you kind of thing? <laughs> and I was like, well, guess what? I'm your daughter. <laughs> and he was like, mm we got really quiet on him. I'm freaking out and crying and all this. And he's like, Hey, <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. So I'm like pumped up and we just started talking and I called my sisters and I'm like, I found them. And that was with mixed emotion. One sister was like, I don't care. <laughs> the other one was like, yay. And the other one was like, well, okay, good. So it was like varying spectrums of excitement, which killed my thunder. Cause I'm like, we all should be like, kumbaya. It's funny too. And people have to be cautious about these reunions because in our minds, the person who finds the one who's missing, we have this romantic idea of what it's gonna be like. We think it's gonna be hugs and kisses and oh my God, you know, like all this stuff. And it wasn't quite that way. He said later that he went and got drunk and smoked <laughs> after he got off the phone with me because he was like, whoa. Like, and I can imagine, it's like a lot. I'm 20 something years old and I haven't seen you since I was like eight, so it's a long time. And, and so yeah, it just, it didn't end well. Like we just did not connect. He for whatever reason, took to like my younger sisters, but he didn't really take to me because I was probably the most successful out of my sisters. And so he chose to bash me for that. Like, you think you're all this because you've got a degree and you're this or that. And I was like, no, like I don't. I'm just an example of if I can, you can sort of thing. So yeah, it, it didn't go the romantic way I thought it would. And the funny part about it was I never knew his birthday. But how about my first son has the same birthday as my dad? crazy because <laughs> I always said if I had a son I was going to name him after my dad but then my older sister had the son first and she named him after my dad so all I was left with was his same birthday which is crazy because I never even knew his birthday so yeah weird stuff <laughs> that is an interesting coincidence yeah another yeah. thing you mentioned too in the interview with your sisters is that both of your parents were Muslim yeah, I think it was more him because on my grandma's, my mother's side, like nobody was Muslim. And I think he brought her along for the ride. And so, yeah, that's how we kind of got our names. They're all Arabic. That's cool. Have you explored that at all? People explore it for me, believe it or not. So as I was younger, like I was working at Burger King and someone says, oh, you're Rashida. Do you know what that means? And I'm like, oh, no, but I'm sure you'll tell me. <laughs> and it means like great and wonderful stuff. So I'm like aptly named. And then there's also the African version of Rashida. There's Rashidi. So then African people started to say, oh, let me tell you about your name. So I've learned a lot about it just by people telling me. I have the right name for who I am, for sure. So another thing that you mentioned was when the time is right, you will do things. Mm -hmm. Tell me about when you knew the time was right to get divorced. You know, I, I always was playing Dr. Phil in my head. You know, he was like, make sure you do everything that you can do. And even when you think you've done it, do some more. And that's how I felt. And then so, and I had kids with him. And so I was battling between my personal self being selfish and going, I don't like you right now. And then the kid side of things going, but we have these kids and it's not fair to them. And I never wanted them to have a life like I did. I wanted togetherness. That's the reason I got married. I didn't get married to get divorced and, and have kids and be all weird. I battled with it. We separated a couple times and I think about it. And you know, I grew up Pentecostal for one, and that's a belief that you don't get divorced. It's pretty stringent, you know? And so that was still within me, even though I had kind of wavered from the church, that I still had those values and, and I wanted to uphold that. But it got to the point where, you know, it became highly disrespectful or he's, he was cheating. And then he just thought he was abusive along the way as well from a mental perspective and a little bit of handiness, you know, choking and, and trying to pin me down kind of stuff, but no bruises and hospital visits, thank God. 
And, and I just said, you know, enough is enough because you know what? I have three sons. And if this is what we're modeling, we're not doing a very good job. We create the normal for our children, believe it or not. And so if I'm, we're doing kooky stuff, they're going to think that's how people are supposed to be. And so my bigger responsibility is not to be selfish for me, but to be who I need to be for them. And so we had to remove ourselves from the situation. What was that like? It was crazy because my youngest son was like two years old. The other one was five. And then my oldest son might have been 10, 12. And I just literally left midday because we were both in technology. He had gone to work and I was moving. I moved out of this state, like clean to North Carolina. I was like, I'm out. And he went to work that morning. I had already orchestrated the moving trucks to come in and we dipped. And we, I drove 10 hours from Georgia to North Carolina. And we were out of there. And I didn't let him know like forever where I lived. But when I finally did, he shows up in the middle of the night one day. And I'm like, now you had to be all kind of crazy to drive 10 hours in the middle of the night. And that neighborhood wasn't even on GPS. So I'm like, how did you even find this? He was all types of crazy child. (laughs) I'm just thankful that, you know, I had enough sense to get out when I did. And I still walked away with peace and sanity and uh, myself. And that was the most important thing. It's very brave. Mm-hmm. I'm wild. <laughs> I was independent and he knew that from the get-go. I didn't need his money. I didn't need his stuff. And a lot of people who get in these abusive situations, it's just the opposite. He's got the control. She might be the stay-at-home mom. She's not really working or quasi-working. And so she's less apt to leave because I don't have any money. Where am I going to go? Like, he's my everything. Well, that wasn't my case. I was very independent, very strong-willed, very determined And so there was nothing he could say or do to keep me back. Nothing I needed depended on him. And that was big. Did you ever have like a reflective period of how did I get in that situation? You know, you always look back and go, was my picker wrong? (laughs) You know, I want to think I'm a good judge of character. And for what it was, it was a great relationship. We had amazing highs and we had low lows. I look back on it now and we just reconcile. Well, I, I tried to reconcile with him maybe the beginning of this year, as a matter of fact, because he hadn't talked to my sons. We don't even know where he is to this day. We, he's off the grid. I, don't, I didn't even think that was possible as a professional that you can be off the grid, but you're off, he's off the grid and I, I can't fight that fight. I'm over it, you know, but I did call him. I have his number and, and I made peace with the situation so that he could reconnect with, with my boys. And, and I shared with him, I said, you know, we did this all wrong. He, we had like similar personality. So he was steadfast on what he believed. I was steadfast on my position. And had we just relaxed, I think we could have probably worked through it a little bit better. So I look back in hindsight and think the me I am today at 47, if I was that girl then, we, we might have survived it, you know, with a little bit of side eye, we, we, but we might have survived it. <laughs> and so I have a little bit of regret and I try not to live a life of regret, but I think I have remorse and regret in that regards because we weren't mature enough to take it to the next level as far as being mature. And co-parenting. Yeah, that too. And you know, that's a regret too, because when we got divorced, he wanted like one son and I was going to keep the other one, but that's not how I you know, coming from my background with my sisters, I was like, oh, heck no, I'm not separating these kids. We're not doing that. We're going to be together. You get them or we'll, we'll, you can live near me. Like whatever that thing is, I don't care, but we're not separating the kids. Today I go, literally my husband and I were just talking about this. I said, you know what? I should have gave the boys to him because that would have made him grow up. He would have had to get some skin in the game and he would have had to man up and be a dad. Selfishly, I think I was trying to punish him and it probably punished the whole crew. <laughs> in the process. So if I could take it all back, I'd say, here's your children. I'll pay you child support even, but you go raise your sons. Be a man. It would have hurt, but I would have done it. How hard would that have been for you though? Like Crazy. <laughs> very, very crazy. I mean, I have a girlfriend who did that. She gave her ex-husband one of the boys. She had three by two different dads, but the two that she was, when she was married, she gave one of them to, I hate to say gave, but she allowed the one son to go live with the dad because he was a little closer to the dad and the one was more like a mother's mama boy. And it, it was hurtful, but she said she adjusted and, and it got better. But that initial, it's like dropping your kid off to college. You know, when I dropped my son off for the first time, I cried like halfway home. Like, I think we all cried. It was a mess. <laughs> the things I would have been concerned about was what are you instilling in them as a man? You know, how to treat women, how to, you know, do the right thing. That would have been my only concern. At what age did you get remarried? 
I got married five years ago, so that I was 42. And uh, we dated for about a year. So yeah, the oldest, well, my middle son was probably, that was five years ago. He's 17 now. He was like 12, maybe going on 13. And the younger one was like eight. So, you know, it was a good time for them to receive like positivity and, and they embraced him and, and he embraced them. And to this day, they're like, they call themselves like the bro club. <laughs> so when they want to gang up on me, they're like bro club unite. <laughs> so, and I'm the only chick. So they, they try to handle me a little bit every now and again, but it's a fun relationship. I love it. And, and I couldn't have asked for a better guy as far as that's concerned. Oh, that's so wonderful. <laughs> I actually have a friend who was adopted at birth and found her birth mom at 21. And I just interviewed the adopted mom and the birth mom. And then after interviewing the birth mom for three hours, I think that I'm going to be able to help her possibly find her dad that doesn't even know she exists. I would love to know your thoughts about that. Now, you know, that's very interesting. When I published that episode of my sisters, the mother who I was raised with, I sent them all a copy of it because I thought it was a great job. Oh my God, was I met with such backlash, like seriously. Like her daughter pinged me and was like, oh my God, like seriously, you sound so ungrateful. You came off disrespectful to my mother, blah, 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 blah. Exactly, the look you're giving me is the look I will say <laughs> as I'm reading this text message. And then mom, my adopted mother, she came out with a soliloquy of a text message and then she put at the bottom, more to come. The next day, she comes out like this five page text, just spewing like line for line, everything she was like dissenting against from that episode. And I was like, oh, this was not about you guys. It wasn't about you were being a bad parent or did anything wrong. And I even say that, I'm like, you guys were 20. We thought you were like a hundred at that point because we were little kids, you know? And so I get it now that you did what you knew to do being a 20 year old. Anyway, my younger sister, I always knew this. She's not, we don't have the same father. So that's a scandal in the family because nobody wants to talk about it. Or if they do, it's a whole checkered story. Anyway, mom on this blast, she tells my sister, your mother was a prostitute and she was a heroin addict. Now this is my mother's sister. She was a heroin addict. She came to Connecticut. She had this baby. She dropped you off at somebody's house because she didn't want to raise you. She died six months later and we had to go find you. My sister is like a basket case right now. She heard these things before, but my mother solidified it and did it in the most meanest way ever, in my opinion. And my sister's like all jacked up. She's been messed up since Friday. So I say that to say, be prepared. If you want to know, mom, mom even said that. She goes, well, if you, if you want the truth and you can't handle the truth, don't ask for the truth. Probably not the most gentlest thing to say, but it's true. So be prepared. If she really wants to go there and find that person, be prepared for the yay reunion or the get out my face reunion. Because either one is a possibility, depending on where that person is. What's so interesting is that she had four birth sisters. Her mom actually had another child 16 months after she gave her up. Wow. And they've all been in and out of foster care situations and one of her sisters actually died but she did have a reunion where she met three of her sisters and her mom and her adopted mom actually came with her for support and stood back and let them have their time of getting to know each other but wow so that's the way it should be in the grand scheme of things you know you should want that but again if you haven't gone through that situation you'll be all kinds of disrespected you know what i'm saying because you i remember when my dad came to connecticut the only bike I ever had, he bought it. He had bought me a bike. He bought my sister a three-speed and my adopted brothers. He bought them big wheels. And I remember when he came, I was like, that's my dad. And I'm like, yeah, because I got my own person now, right? Mom was so livid that I did that as if I had disrespected her husband and, and all that they were doing for me. She was like, how could you do that? Da, 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 da. My sister was like, yeah, I think that's the first time mom ever cursed <laughs> when my dad came, but she didn't get that. I'm just a kid. And mom was looking at it from, he's never done anything for you that so-and-so, so-and-so, you know, I'm not even in the weeds like that as a kid. I'm just like, yay, I got my person. Yay. She never really embraced the fact that we want to know that part of our, our history or that part of who we are. I think she feels quasi disrespected and they're like attacked anytime you go there. And it's like, that's not even what it's about. So yeah, I, I would have loved to have had that type of reunion story, but yeah. 
<laughs> it's really hard because she didn't meet her until she's 21. You know, she was afforded an upper middle class lifestyle and her mom is still struggling. And I think that that's really hard for both of them to now integrate into each other's lives. It's complicated. Yeah, it is even as a sister. I was the most successful one. I was the only one that had gone to college. And so they would triple up on me. You know, they would call me for money, which was fine. But then if I didn't give it to them, I was like the worst person ever. Or, you know, you think you're better than us. And it's like, no, I'm not saying that because I want all y'all to go to college. So now my youngest one, she's got her associates. My oldest one is a year away from getting her bachelor's. So they're getting it together now. And I'm happy for that. But it was a, it was a struggle for me to be excited for what I have accomplished and what I have physical um, material things because it was always met with you think you're better you know you're rubbing it in my face and I'm like no that's not what I'm doing at all like come stay with me I don't even care like that you know that was my thing but because we don't know each other we don't know when each other's being sincere or honest even so it, it was a struggle so I was like you know what can I do and I'm not going to apologize for what I have or how I got it because I worked my butt off to get it and no apologies necessary. You have that part of you, then you have that empathetic side that says, you know, but I understand what they're saying as well. It's, it's rough. My middle sister, the one below me, she's kind of stuck right now. She doesn't know how to get out of that rut. And I, we talk about that a little bit in, in the episode. And, and now she's about to be homeless. And it's like, gosh, you're 44 years old. At what point do people stop giving to you and you have to kick in for yourself? And so I'm torn with that as a person because I'm like, oh, instantly I'm like, well, just come stay with us. <laughs> that's my thing. That's my, my go-to. And my husband was like, well, that's going to be your project. I'm like, oh my God. But I'm like, she's got this kid. And I don't want her to be out there. But like, what's the message we're sending if we keep coming to your rescue? Like, you've got to kick in. You're a whole grown woman with a kid. Like some point you, you just got to get it together. That's tough. You know, as a human, you don't want to see someone just out there when you know you can help them but then you don't want to be an enabler because that's all that's been happening for all these years. And so you don't get better if people just keep enabling you, throwing money at you, fixing your problems, then you don't have those skills to learn how to do that for yourself. So it becomes a challenge. It's tough. It's really tough. My mother, she doesn't, I'm not trying to paint her out to be a bad person, but she doesn't spend the time with my children the way she does with her true children's children. And, and I feel like that's robbed from them. They call, my son's called her grandma, but they probably just do that as a word, but that connection, like what I had with my grandmother, I don't think that exists. I would have wanted that version of grandma like I had, you know, the one who's come on over, like, you know, have some cookies. I got a stash just for you guys, you know, go to McDonald's. Here's like some money, go have a good time and that sort of stuff. And that's what I'm doing or the version of grandma I want to be for my granddaughter. You know, everything I thought my grandmother was and then some, like that's my, my role model. I wrote down from your episode with your sisters how much you love your grandmother because I have that same love for my grandmother. My mom got pregnant at 18 and I grew up with four grandparents and they were like second parents to me. That's goals at the end of the day. I, my son, I do have a granddaughter. She's two years old. And my son, I think it hit me. His girlfriend, she is adopted as well. She's, she was in the foster system. And so I can connect with her because I, I get it and we're, we relate, but then we have like this weird relationship, which is crazy, but <laughs> they won't let me be a grandmother. I think they finally just clicked in and said, okay, but they felt like you're trying to steal my daughter. You're, you're trying to do too much. You're trying to tell me how to be a parent, which I probably was doing a little bit of that. I'm learning. And, and I said, you know what? They don't understand the art of grandma because Neither one of them really had a grandmother. My son's father's mother was dead. My grandma was dead. And then there was mom. And so they don't have those vibes. And I, it hit me. So I called them out on it. And the girl was like, yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't really know what grandma looks like. And so she can't understand my vibes. <laughs> and that I'm trying to be like a wonderful helpmate to you guys. I, I think they've finally gotten the, the gist now because I just had a baby for like three weeks and they're like, oh, this was nice. They, had, they were at the beach living their best lives. I'm like, oh, so now you understand. <laughs> I can help you. This is what we do, you know? Spoiler, buy her clothes in her home and there it is. So they're starting to figure that out. Like, okay, mom's not really overbearing like we think she is, even though she is, but it's in a good way. 
she means it in a loving way. So we're going to receive the nonsense she's pushing out. Because <laughs> I told him, I said, grandmothers have no rules. You don't tell us what to do. We break the rules. We do what we want to do. And you get over it. <laughs> they were like, um, no. I'm like, uh, yes. <laughs> I love that you're such a young, vibrant grandma. I had that too. It's so special. I hope that they can appreciate that. Yeah. With time, you know, they're in their 20s. My son is 24. So, you know, the maturity factor has to kick in at some point, but they get it. You kept her for three weeks? Girl, look here. <laughs> I was like, tutu. I call her tutu. I said, girl, I'm not used to getting up at seven o'clock in the morning. I'm not used to making cereal because my kids are on autopilot. But she's so cute. And, and she was, it was worth every minute of the sleep loss and all that. Because she's like this little person full of energy with her own ideas. And it's like, okay, we just don't roll with your program today. That's cool. <laughs> but it was, it was a lot of work. When she went back home, I, was, I think I slept for like a week. <laughs> what was the most fun thing you guys did together? I built out the backyard. My husband's daughters have kids too. So we have four all together. And so this year when COVID hit, I love to travel. We're avid travelers. We travel like five times a year internationally. Well, that all came to a screeching halt. And so we spent our travel monies, I guess we'll call it, and just redid the whole backyard. So I made this little park and I call it Tutu Park. And I just envision us having like picnics and her frolicking around on the grass and just doing her thing. And that's exactly how it went. It was, we fenced the yard in and she just went out there. She was splashing the puddles in the morning. We built a garden. So in the mornings we'd go harvest and she was out there with me picking green beans or squashing stuff like that. And I thought that was so cute. And I'm like, you know me. And she's like, cheese. <laughs> she's already, she's already trained. She's good to go on that note. I love that. That's so <laughs> awesome. Is she going to take some little sassy pictures for your wall? Oh yeah, I've got like a, my, my iPhone storage, I have 512 gigs. When I tell you I'm up to about 400 of those 512, <laughs> I'm like the worst. Just give me a terabyte and I might not reach that. But other than that, I, I, I blow up a phone because I'm taking pictures all the time. So let's talk a little bit about your podcast and how it came to be and who you would love to interview. Well, let me start with the, the last question. I would love to interview Michelle Obama. I actually went on her account and was like, girl, let's talk. <laughs> like, like she knows me, right? <laughs> I, I like her. She's goals and, and she's so put together and polished. And I don't have like uh, role models per se or people. I like Oprah too, you know what I mean? For what they stand for and the energies they, they put out. But I never had anybody that was like, oh my God, I'm so fascinated. Like I want to be you. Or I want to meet you. But the Obamas, they, they're very, well, he's sexy. So let's just throw that out there. <laughs> and I already told my husband, look at here, if Obama show up, you just need to get back because I'm going to be hollering and winking and doing all kind of foolishness. But, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll talk with you later. I just love them. And I, I think with her having a podcast, I was like, we should just talk about like what it's like to have a podcast. I thought that we need. But starting the podcast was it just it just happened. When COVID hit, I realized like I work from home and I've been working from home for like three years. So being stuck at home wasn't anything new to me. What was new was having the kids here, but we all have space and we, we figured it out really, really quick. Like nobody was like, oh my God, I'm sick of seeing you. Um, <laughs> everybody did their thing. Um, but I realized I had a lot of time on my hands that I didn't know I had, right? So a girlfriend had started this Facebook group and she was like, I want you to do videos for me. Cause I always do videos of cooking videos, DIY videos, whatever. And I realized, well, if I can do the videos for you and support your cause, then dadgum, I can do the videos for me too, because clearly I have the time when I think I, I didn't think I did. And so that's how it came about. So I started this online Facebook group called How Do I Dot Dot Dot. It's a private group, and it's all video, and it's about empowerment. It's about, you know, coping and adjusting, and it's about, like, starting new careers, like, all things positive and empowerment. And it grew really, really quickly to, like, 800 people, or 750 people, something like that, in, like, three months span. And so I said, okay, this is cool. And I realized, well, not everybody is on every platform. Not everyone's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. So the, I, the podcast idea came. So I was like, well, okay. It's basically the audio version of what I was already doing. And I can take it to another level and a different audience base. And so that's how it really just came about. It was just like an extension of what I already had. But the moral to the story was 
we don't realize how much time we waste. Like I'll sit outside endlessly and listen to the birds and, you know, soak in the sun with my dark self and, and sip on tea like all day. Like that was my thing. I'm super excited about it. My podcast is about store, people's stories. Everyone has a story. And I say that in my intro, everyone has a story and I'm going to start by sharing mine. And, and so I feel like the way you connect with people is by putting yourself out there for one, being vulnerable, and, and you sometimes have to disclose some ugly stuff because people want to relate. You know, if you're just all about frou-frou Instagram pictures of your best self with your makeup all done, that's not a real picture of who you are. And, and so I try to be honest. I talk about bankruptcy. I talk about foreclosures. I went through all that when I was going through my divorce and that you can still bounce back and you can smile and you don't have to hold your head down and be shameful. So that's the stories that I share with them about me. And then I try to pull great stories about other people's lives and share that because we're all empowered by the people we're surrounded by. I am empowered by you right now. I absolutely <laughs> love your story, love your podcast, love you. You are so vibrant. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me. I actually have one more question for you just from what you just said. Sure. I don't know if you've come across this yet, but I recently came across this. I interviewed someone who got super vulnerable and is going through a hard time. I've actually had a couple of people that I was surprised by how much they shared with me and it took unexpected twists and turns and you were like, whoa, right. it's amazing. <laughs> but yeah. after they did that, they had some regret and look, I worked for Jerry Springer. They asked me to be on the show once. I regretted that too. I've been there. Okay. But what do you do when somebody is like, oh, and you've already paid to have it edited and you've already, you know, invested hours of your time and then they either want to be anonymous or want you to not air it? How do you feel about that? I've not had that. I've had where they get apprehensive on the front end. Like a guy friend, I'm like, oh my God, like he has the best story. But he's like, can you disguise my voice? I'm like, ain't nobody doing that. <laughs> as much as I would like to think I'm Oprah level, the likelihood of anybody just going, I know that's Bob's voice. Like, that's not happening. You know what I mean? I'm like, get over yourself already. Like, knock it off. That's my non-empathetic version. <laughs> my empathetic version, if someone had done that, I would try to help them through and then say, but you're, you're, you're helping someone. You know, you're freeing not only yourself in this moment, but somebody else somewhere is probably going through the same thing you're going through. And by you sharing your story, they're likely to get real about their stuff. And so turn it around and turn that negative into a positive and, and help them see that you were gifted with giving me this opportunity to interview you and to share your story. And it's going to be powerful and it's going to hit people and it's going to touch them where they need to be touched to free up. And, and that's the, that's the goal, right? That's why we're doing this. We're not like trying to air your laundry out and be salacious and Jerry Springer-ish. You know what I mean? It's about positivity and, and girl power and all that good stuff. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I would phrase that. Yeah, I love that. It is interesting too, like the more people have opened up to me, the more I want to open up too. Yeah. I told my husband the other day, I said, you know, <laughs> the thing some people say, I'm like, gosh, like somebody called me the other day and said, oh, I'm, I'm dating this guy. He's blind. I'm like, why did she tell me that? I don't even know why. Great story. It's going down. Trust me. <laughs> and she's like, but he's so good in bed. And that was the part that got me. She goes, he's good in bed. I'm like, girl, Okay. I didn't ask for that, but okay. <laughs> His stuff works. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I think when people feel like they connect with you, they feel like they can just let it all out. and like, it's safe. It's going to be all right. And I'm like, hey, I attract the most interesting people ever. Crazy, cool, fun, like all that. And I'm like, I'm here for it all. Because like, in each one of them, there's a little bit of that in me. So I get it. I love that. I feel the exact same way. It's funny because I've recorded like 50 episodes. I'm like, I need to slow down because how many can I release a week? Like three a week max people are going to have the attention span for. But I'm like, every time I release one, I get three to five people that reach out and private message me and send me the craziest stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> I might as well just keep riding this wave. I'm enjoying it. Right. I, you're, you're crazy with all that. You're, you're on it. <laughs> Oh my gosh, like you're, you're a recording magnet. <laughs> I love connecting with people. And like you, I've been working from home for two and a half, almost three years. And it's my joy. I don't love editing, but I do love connecting with people and I do love community building. And so the podcast for me is that. Nice. And being able to be at home gives us the luxury to 
have that balance that we want and be free to do this sort of stuff. And I, I can only be thankful for, for my job, right? My friends will be like, you don't work. I'm like, shut up. Yes, I do. <laughs> Just because I make it look easy doesn't mean it takes a lot of brain power to fix this stuff that I fix. You know what I mean? And there's a testament there too. You know, because even my kids are like, you don't do nothing but be on conference calls all day. I'm like, but I'm having my best life at the same time. I'm sipping on a margarita. Mind your business. <laughs> I'm so thankful to have found this platform, these platforms, and to reach the people I reach. I just like the fact that people feel free and comfortable to be engaging and interact with me through social media and anywhere else. And that's what we should take away from this stuff as podcasters or faux journalists or whatever we are, right? Is that you want to be a people magnet versus a people detractor, you know, because they want to know that, they, that you're holding their story with kick gloves and in most respectful way. When you do that, you're on to something, I believe. All right, girl, we're tagging Michelle Obama in this episode. <laughs> um, let's get it. <laughs> and Ayanla and Oprah. <laughs> Fix our lives. Just, just do it. <laughs> I think you, you would be a great interviewer of Michelle Obama. Thank you. I think you should stalk her on all social media platforms and try to make that happen. Why not? Right. All they can do is say no, right? And that's the kind of girl that I am. I, I've always believe so hard. I think that upbringing of mine is what did it. Finding your power. I knew younger that I was destined to be great, whatever that meant, right? And that I was going to go full force and be the best I could be at whatever I was doing. And I, I wasn't going to accept no's. And so for the most part, when I got out of college, every job I interviewed for, I got. I go in with such belief that this job is mine. I guess I radiate that and I exude that. And, and, and I love that. And that, that serves me well to have kind of that behavior, that attitude that says, when someone says no, it just means ask me a different day in a different way. And you might just get that yes. I 100% agree with you. And you do radiate that. You really do. I cannot wait until you get her because I am going to be cheering you on. I received. <laughs> You've been a highlight of people I've met along the way. I have to say that. You have. Aww. I was like, I was telling someone this two days ago, as a matter of fact, I was like, I met this girl and I hate to say this, but like maybe in the black community, we're not so keen on information sharing. You know, I feel like if I got this thing down pat, I'm not going to tell you how I got there because I had to struggle. You need to struggle too. It's, it is what it is, you know, and I'm not that way. I'm like, here, here's how it went down. Now, that's not to say the way it went down for me is going to go down the same for you because what's for you is for you. But I can certainly share with you my process. And when I met you and we talked instantly, you're like, oh my God, like here, do this, do that. Like boom, boom, boom. And I can only thank you for that because that was unexpected completely, even from your editor. She's amazing, you know? And people aren't so keen on that because they feel like, oh, I've got this great resource. I'm going to keep her to myself because I don't want her to get bogged down and not have time for my stuff. Crazy thinking. And we don't realize that there's room in this podcasting world and whatever you're doing for everybody. I appreciate you in more ways than you know. Thank you. You know, I will tell you, I've actually talked about that before and we can wrap up with this. Sometimes, I don't know if you've read the book, Never Eat Alone, but sometimes people think that there are limited pieces of the pie. And I look at things like the more times you connect with someone and share things with people, the more things you're going through, the more ways you can connect, the more ways you can help people, it might not come back from that person, but it will come back from someone else and it happens. You know what? If I can make it a little easier for somebody, they're going to remember that. Yeah. And you do it not going, you better reciprocate. You just do it. And the universe just takes care of it all. I'm telling <laughs> you, man, if you can tap into that electricity of the universe, mm -hmm. it just starts flowing from you don't know where. Yeah. My son say that all the time because, you know, I've lent money out. I don't even lend money. I'm like, if I don't have it to lose, I don't give it. Whatever number it is. And the same people will come back that have did me dirty or haven't paid me back. And I'm like, sure, here you go. Judge Matthews always like, well, you gave them money the first time. They didn't pay you back. Are you dumb? You did it again. <laughs> but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to be me. Yeah. I've always seen my dad do that. Truthfully, it's funny because this is Better Call Daddy, but <laughs> every time we would get off the highway on the exit to our house, there was the same guy asking for money every day. I'm like, dad, dude, you give him a dollar every day, <laughs> every day. And he was like, you know what? If God puts him in my path, 
I'm going to give him a dollar. I was like, I hope I can be like that. I'm like, that's <laughs> crazy. But he's detached from the outcome and he's just like, I feel like it's the right thing to do. And that's what I'm going to do. I'll never forget that though. Yeah. Look, let me call daddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you want to ask my daddy? You get to ask something. Come on. Daddy, look at here now. Don't rough me up. Okay. <laughs> I want daddy to be like, I want to know this chick. <laughs> That's what I need daddy to say. <laughs> so daddy, be gentle. He's going to love you. Thank, thank you. This was so much you. fun. So thank you. I appreciate it. And I can't wait for this episode to air so I can hear how I sound as an interviewee. Thank you so much for being a part of Better Call Daddy. You've heard from my mom. Now let's hear from grandpa. This was a beautiful interview with Rashida, covered a lot of ground. We probably could comment on this two or three evenings. Uh, that's how much stuff is in it. It's very interesting that she's had an enormous amount of adversities to overcome, but the type of depth of her experiences in a lot of different things has elevated her to where she has used positive energy to take all of her experiences and to try to see if she can be able to help other people and be able to make sense of it all. She seems to be unrelenting if anything gets in her way. And isn't that really an important thing about human character is that no matter how tough things can be, those that always are looking for a path to move forward in positive and put the energy and put that enthusiasm that she has for life to work, that you find your way out of the maze. And you don't get trapped in the box and you don't get trapped with a, a useless life when at any time in your life, you can step up and good things can happen, but you have to put in the time and the energy. But a very interesting thing is, is that you have to have the patience and be able to do due diligence and not be so emotional or quick snapping at what your decision might be. It takes a development of ideas. It takes a development of experiences to be able to formulate a winning strategy. You know, it's really interesting. She's beautiful on the outside too. And I believe that it starts with the inside and it shines on the outside as well. Well, look how she also made her list. And it turns out that shining from within is certainly outweighs the sex appeal of what might show up on the outside because looks can change dramatically over time and certainly as we age. But the fact is, is that people that are with a bad attitude, people that do not have the right outlook of life, isn't it funny how a lot of these people, even if they looked really beautiful when they were young, the more bitter they are, the more nasty they can be and condescending, <laughs> their look on even the outside starts to reflect that inner part of nastiness where they even start looking ugly on the outside. At least that's through my experience. You're making me laugh. <laughs> you can even see it in people's expressions when they're nasty. Certain actors and actresses have fought real hard because they were really had that sex appeal and that following when they were young. And they'll do anything to recapture it, including that Botox and, and all kinds of... Uh, uh, operations. And the funny part is, is that more than a majority of the time, they look so far worse if they would have just stayed natural and let their inner beauty shine. Another interesting subject that came up, this idea of being free with ideas and brainstorming and sharing ideas with people makes us all grow. And the more you share your experiences and your knowledge especially if you're running a company or you're running a, sh a show and you are able to delegate authority to other people and develop and grow other people and their sensitivity to things. You're lighting the candle of other people. You're shining a light to other people. And it's, you're rewarded back for that. And you elevate yourself to higher positions when you can command the stage, when you can show that light and brightness to others it elevates you to a higher level. Those people that know a trick of how to spin a certain part and you say, hey, that was really neat how you did that. You blew the metal back out 
and then tucked it into the corner. Wow, now I'm cracking a lot less pieces to have to make such a sharp corner. I have more metal to play with. That, that's really a terrific technique. And then the response is, well, I didn't really want to show you, but since you're the boss, I did. But this is a trick I wanted to really keep to myself so that I could always stay on this job. Well, the funny part is, is that there you go, where if only one person knows how to do it efficiently, then you're only counting on that one guy. And the guy says, well, that's job security. I said, no. What that is, is that if you can show other people how to use these different techniques, you can have the other people spin the parts and you can do the instructing and showing them. And you don't have to physically work as hard. If you can use your abilities to train and develop others, you'll have a higher position in the company. Ooh, I didn't really look at it that way. Growing responsibilities, growing different perceptions, gaining knowledge and skills and learning how to learn. That's what you do when you go to school. You don't have to necessarily memorize everything that you learn. But if you learn how to look things up in the library, if you learn how to listen to others, if you can logically think of what the next step is and whatever the equation is, your mind starts developing to the point where you can answer these questions and figure it out on your own. And that leads to another very important subject that came out in this conversation is that some people think that if you're elevating yourself as well and you're making certain money, some people only look at it based on the money and that if you make too much money and you have a relative, they think you're looking down at them. They think that making money makes you some type of big shot. And it's, it can be the furthest from the truth. You could be the nicest person in the world. And just because you have the abilities to be able to make money, that doesn't mean that you're some type of sourpuss or some kind of disgusting person. The other thing is, is that when people are out there and they are given a handout or they are enabled, as she would say, then they never stand on their own two feet. They're always waiting for a handout or have an excuse that they can't do anything and they never succeed. And they're always being bailed out. And if you can't stand on your own two feet and be able to stick up for yourself, you're going to be lost in this world. And the way to become more independent is by being active, being positive, and figuring out the maze, figuring out the chess moves, and being able to study and work at it, and to do it in a positive way. It's very enriching when you get a new order. It's very enriching when you learn a new skill. It's very enriching when you have a, a brilliant discussion with somebody. Today's episode is sponsored by Rin10 Media. If you want to look and sound your best for a podcast of your own, you want to get in touch with Rin10 Media. When I first contacted them, Better Call Daddy was just a twinkle in my daddy's eye. And now, only after a couple months in, we're at like 50 episodes. Reach out to info at ren10media.co.za and use the subject line, Better Call Daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Yeah.